BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by site co-experts Lucas Johnson and Chris Klein. Welcome to another episode of the Sixer Sense Podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Johnson, with my co-host here, Christopher Klein, and our producer, Uriah Young. We have a special guest here tonight. We have Dan Vopone from Liberty Ballers. Dan used to be a member of the Sixer Sense, and prior after leaving the Sixer Sense, he was the site expert at Valley of the Suns for Fansighted, and then he went on to work as a member of Liberty Baller. So, Dan, how are we doing tonight? Doing good. Thanks for having me on. How are you guys? Doing good. Yeah, doing well. Uh, we're excited to have you on, Dan. Appreciate it. I'm happy to be here. So we have a lot to talk about, primarily with the coaching search, what's going on with that. So without any further ado, Chris, take it away. Yeah, so we're going to start off the podcast talking about Mike D'Antoni. Um, a recent report from Keith Pompey makes it look as though this is pretty much D'Antoni's job to lose. Um, Billy Donovan is obviously a major candidate who is no longer on the market. He signed with the Chicago Bulls. And it's looking more and more like Tyron Liu was maybe a leverage move or just someone the Sixers really haven't considered all that significantly. So, Dan, why do you think the Sixers seem so keen on D'Antoni? And, and what do you think the situation is there? Yeah, so I think if I'm going to give them credit and and act like, you know, maybe maybe they know what they're doing, which would uh, kind of be out of character for them, then I would say they probably like D'Antoni a lot because they've struggled the last few years with getting their guys who they think are going to be their role players to actually produce off the bench and, and fit in well. And D'Antoni has a history of taking guys like Daniel House – PJ Tucker and turning them into legit contributors. Um, but if I'm if I'm being cynical, which is pretty easy to do these days, I think you know Elton Brand played under D'Antoni as a, with D'Antoni was the assistant when Elton Brand came back to Philly at the end of his career, and he probably really liked him. And I think that has a lot to do with it too, if I'm being honest. So it's, I like D'Antoni. I don't necessarily trust the Sixers to be making smart decisions ever. So, yo, you you share our cynical outlook on the Sixers right now. That's for sure, Dan. Um, in terms of Dan Tony, I've always been a proponent against it because I don't believe his system will work with the superstars or even the roster general that we have now. I don't I don't like the fit with the bead, though. We'll get to that later. 
in terms of what I think they're doing, uh, it, I've heard different things. I, I've heard ownership has been the main proponent of Mike D'Antoni, which would make sense, much more sense than Elton. I mean, I know that Elton has been rumored to like him too, but ownership liking him, yeah, I can see that. He was a part of the organization. They like to keep stuff in-house if possible, and because he used to be a part of it, he, he's familiar there. I think, and the other thing that I've heard is that actually D'Antoni might be the leverage move on Tyron Lue to get his asking price down. Because if I'm, if I heard correctly, that Tyron Lue's asking price per season is seven million per season, and they the Sixers don't want to pay that while still paying Brett Brown. So I think that they might be using D'Antoni as a leverage to get Lue's price down. Either way, I don't think D'Antoni is the right coach for this team. I mean, obviously, no coach is the right coach for it presently constructed, but he's. I don't feel like he's the right coach for the two stars that we have because Ben Simmons is unwilling to shoot, so he's going to treat him more like a center in his offense based off what we've seen in the past with him and people that can't shoot. And then uh, Joel Embiid, his most efficient offense is posting up, and we all know how that went down with Dwight Howard in L.A., so we'll see what happens. That's for sure. And Houston, I guess, to an extent. But yeah, that's that's, that's my thoughts on it. Yeah, so if we're going to go back to Pompey's report, uh, he, he mentioned getting mixed signals from different sources. They weren't really sure how much pull Elton Brand had in this coaching search. They mentioned that ownership might be uh, uh, doing more behind the scenes than they initially let on. Um, but I, I do think at this point, it, it seems pretty clear that D'Antoni is the favorite um, Pompey mentioned that Ty Lue hasn't met with the Sixers in person yet, whereas D'Antoni has already met with ownership. So I th- think that's a pretty significant uh, a sign there. Uh, you know, as far as if he's the right coach, we'll see. I've been a pretty big proponent of his. I, I-, I like him quite a bit. Like you said, Lucas, the fit is a bit a bit questionable, but but he is also one of the most creative you know offensive minds we've seen for the past two decades. Um, some of the best offensive teams of all time have been D'Antoni teams, and I, I think there's something to be said for that. Um, but to go back to what Dan said initially, I, I definitely don't think the Sixers deserve a ton of credit here. D'Antoni was an assistant under Brett Brown. We know from past reports that Brian Colangelo at one point or another wanted to replace Brown with D'Antoni. That was his vision for the team, and pretty much everyone who worked under Colangelo is, is still in that front office, brand included. So uh, it, it's a bit, you know, I, I have my doubts, my skeptical, my, my skepticism is, is there because it, it, it just seems a bit strange that he's, he's still in the conversation. But I do like D'Antoni quite a bit, so we'll see where that goes. But another pretty big rumor that came out, and I, I do think it's worth talking about, is that Sixers view D'Antoni as someone who could maybe lure James Harden away from Houston in the next couple of years. Uh, Dan, do you give any credence to that? Do you think that's something the Sixers are thinking about or should think about? You should always think about how to bring in great players. So um, I think, of course, they want James Harden. I would love to have James Harden in Philly. Um, But when it comes down to the the actual rumor itself, and if I buy it, uh, absolutely not. I don't I don't think there's much legitimacy to it. I think, you know, they mentioned via trade or two years from now. The only way I think it happens via trade is if Fertitta, who's kind of, you know, very known to be cheap, uh, wants to get off a salary. I don't I don't really think that's going to happen. I mean, James Harden is 
James Harden sells jerseys. He gets people to the stands. Even if you look at him as just a business guy and not even a basketball guy, I don't think he moves Harden. I would love for the Sixers to get him. I think there's not a lot I wouldn't give to bring him in. And then the other thing that uh, John Clark had mentioned in that rumor was that, you know, in two years from now in free agency, you know, maybe he likes D'Antoni. He wants to come and he wants to come uh, or Harden would want to come to Philly if we have D'Antoni here. Um, but two years from now in free agency, even if we find a way to get off of Tobias and Al for nothing by then, which, I mean, it seems really unlikely based on how bad those contracts are. If we still have Joel and Ben around and anyone else, we're not going to be able to get Harden on any kind of max deal, especially if we're not going to see much of a rise in salary cap, depending on how things go with, you know, with restrictions for COVID and how that affects the league. So I don't think it's very realistic at all, but if it, if it is a possibility and I'm wrong, I'd be, I'd be thrilled because I love James Harden. He's one of the best offensive players of all time by a lot of ways to look at it. And I think it'd be a ton of fun. So to piggyback off of what you said, yeah, it seems unrealistic, but let's just say for instance, Philly's really persistent and Houston's willing to oblige, but we have to give up one of our core. The Sixers under no circumstances should do that. James Harden is what? 31, 32 now. Mm. Uh, Correct. He's in his early thirties. He doesn't have much of his prime left, especially the way that D'Antoni's been running him the last couple of seasons. Houston shouldn't want to trade James Harden, and they should try maybe trade Russell Westbrook, but, you know, we'll see what happens there. Um, It just doesn't seem likely, and I don't think it'd be good for the Sixers in terms of having... Money-wise, it just wouldn't fit, I don't think. Yeah, I, I do think financially it's a bit tricky. I, I don't think they're going to be able to get off of Tobias's contract anytime soon. Maybe if he plays well and maybe in two years when his deal is shorter, they, they can do something. But uh, to, to create max contract space with Ben and Joe on the roster in general is going to be pretty tough. Um, Super max so contract I, space. Yeah, so I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't bet on it. And as far as the trade goes, it doesn't seem like the Rockets are going to try to rebuild anytime soon. It, it might happen if they flame out again under a new head coach. That's always a possibility. But, um, I mean, James Harden's one of the five best players in basketball, maybe. So, you know, unless he asks, asks out, you know, you're probably not going to trade him because you just don't trade those types of players. So, uh, like you said, Dan, if the Sixers can get him, of, of course they should. He, he would instantly put them in title contention. I think he and Embiid could be quite dangerous together, though I, I might – I'd be interested to see how D'Antoni, uh, uh, you know, matches their games together because it isn't the cleanest fit. But there's a lot of potential there. But I, I too, just kind of doubt it. Um, I think if you hire D'Antoni, it should be because you think he's the right head coach. It shouldn't be because you have, like, these grand images of James Harden, like, bolting to come join him again because I, I just don't think that's too likely. So to finish out our conversation about D'Antoni, Part of Pompey's report that I mentioned earlier noted that Joel Embiid gave his blessing to Dan Tony, which is another indication that uh, this coaching search might be pretty far along at this point. Um, it said that Embiid liked Dan Tony's five-out style, and he liked the idea of facing up more um, as opposed to getting the type of post touches that he did in Brett Brown's offense. Dan, what were your thoughts on that, and, and do you think that's, that's meaningful? Uh, I mean, it's it's good to hear, um, especially with 
you know, all the concern about, you know, Joel kind of being a little miserable this season. It's just you want to keep your star players happy, and he seems to play better when he's happy. Um, or though maybe he's just happier because he's playing better, to be fair. But um, I think it is it is important. They should be consulting him, so I'm glad they are. It's not even a given with this team that they would because, I mean, they didn't consult him when they sent his let his two best friends leave the team. So I'm glad they're, they're talking to him. I think um, there's no reason he couldn't be successful in a D'Antoni system. Um, D'Antoni is a very creative coach, and I, I think he can make it work. Um, it is a little bit interesting that you don't hear anything about Ben because I think Ben is maybe most at risk by, by any kind of change going on because um, he's just – not quite the franchise player that Joel is. Um, at least that's how the team seems to view it. Um, and he seems also like the more likely to piece that would be traded if they were to move one of them, um, especially if they were to go after like a, if anything were to, you know, come up and they could get a James Harden caliber player, right? It seems like Ben is the one to go there. So it was interesting to me that there was not much mentioned about Ben in this report, it could have just been the report. Another part of the report said that um, they wanted to move Tobias back to the four that D'Antoni did, um, which kind of feels like Ben's position, especially once Shake came into the lineup and kind of agreed Ben was a four. So it does make me wonder kind of what is what is next and what is the direction of this team, uh, especially after the last few years. It, it seemed like, you know, they didn't bring Jimmy back, at least part of it from what we can understand seems to be that Ben didn't really want him back. Um, and Joel, of course, did. So that seemed like an instance of them picking Ben over Joel. Uh, and that obviously, you know, Joel was very upset that they let him go. So it's kind of interesting to see, are they shifting more towards Joel? Like, what is the deal here now? So to answer your question about that, I think they're trying to make sure Joel's happy because at the end of the year press conference, there were some def- definitely some doubts about his commitment long term based off what he said. That being said, um, you bring up a good point about Tobias. You know, they want to shift him back to the four, which means that Ben's probably going to go back to the point guard under Dan Tony, which Ben likes playing point guard. So I don't see the problem for Ben there. At least that's what he says. Now, the one thing that I just thought of while we were talking about this is that. Do you guys, and, and Dan, you can answer this first. After, uh, do you guys think that D'Antoni's the one coach that will get Ben Simmons to shoot? And if he doesn't, do you think D'Antoni benches him? I don't think I don't think Ben's going to get benched. He does a lot all, all over the ball. I've, I've pretty much given up on him shooting, and I think making any decision, assuming he will shoot, is, is foolish at this point, uh, mm-hmm. just because he's, he's shown he's not going to. And I mean, you can sit and get mad about it, and it's maddening sometimes, especially when, you know, you bet on him to hit a three and he doesn't even take one. Yes, I've done that. It was done. <laughs> uh, uh, but, it, yeah, it's, it's frustrating. Of course it is. And But if you're in the room making decisions, you can't just be like, oh, this guy, he's got to shoot, right? I mean, eventually you have to say, if he shoots, it's a bonus, but we're just going to assume he doesn't. And they did the opposite of that last summer. It was a disaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a disaster for other reasons, too. But, you know, it showed extra flaw in their in their decision-making process and, and what they were thinking. So I, I, don't, I don't think that it's even a coach-by-coach thing. I think he's just going to do what he's comfortable with. And 
no, I think there's no reason to bench him because you should be operating under the assumption that he just won't. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Dan. I, I don't think you bench Ben under any circumstances. He's just too good and too important to this team. And he, he tries hard. I mean, Ben's effort has never been an issue. Uh, we, we can talk about him, you know, not shooting and maybe it being like a mental hurdle that he has to overcome. But, I mean, the effort's always there. It's not like he's slacking off or anything. He's a tremendous player. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't think you bench him. I don't think D'Antoni would bench him. I don't think that would be even a consideration. Um, but I do think the points you made, Dan, about Ben's future being maybe a bit more in question with the reports that we've seen, you know, is valid. I, I do think it's interesting that Joel is, is apparently a big proponent of D'Antoni, considering, you know, the chatter early on when D'Antoni was first mentioned was like, you know, Joel isn't really the type of player that D'Antoni is, is, you know, has maximized in the past. But uh, Pompey or... Uh, it wasn't Pompey, but there was another report that if D'Antoni is the one hired, that he would have a say in personnel decisions that are made uh, to you know better fit his style of play. Uh, maybe that does include Ben. I, I don't think the Sixers are going to try to trade Ben outright this summer, but it's definitely something we should keep an eye on. Uh, it, but we'll, we'll see where that goes. Uh, yeah, no, I, you guys bring up good points and you're right. Ben's not going to shoot if he doesn't want to, and he just doesn't, it, it's frustrating. And I, I know it frustrates Uriah to no end and Uriah is a proponent of trading Ben, um, if that came up, but I, the other thing that made me, that I was thinking about with Joel endorsing, uh, Mike D'Antoni and becoming more of a face-up shooter, that's going to be a lot easier on his body. If you guys think about it, you know, he gets injured a lot going down in the post. If he doesn't have to, you know, bang down in the post, that's going to preserve his body a lot more in terms of, you know, contact-wise. And, yeah, he's not going to go to the foul line as often, but I think it's going to save his body a lot more. And I think, uh, you know, maybe that's his main reason. And I, and I heard a story about him, never got from where, but, heard a story about him and Mike D'Antoni having a good relationship when D'Antoni was an assistant and he was sitting out that, that 2016 season with that injury. So we'll see what happens there, but I want to go ahead and shift gears to our next, uh, our next topic. And we're going to talk about, you know, Al Horford trade rumors. So I, you know, some guys, I want to have your, get your opinion. Cause I've already done this a few times. And I think Chris has done this too in articles about teams that would be interested in absorbing Al Horford's contract. So Dan, any teams on your, in your mind that you can think of that would want to absorb, uh, you know, Al Horford's contract for the right price? Yeah, I think it's, it is, it's a tricky question because getting off of that contract, even if they get off of it outright, does not give them cap space. So it's not something that the team is even going to look at, in my opinion. I think they're going to try to trade him, but they're going to try to trade him for a player. Um, mm-hmm. So I think with with that in mind, you know, I think that the the players that are all over Sixers Twitter regularly are probably good guesses. Um, you know, Thunder for Chris Paul, Bulls for Zach Levine, um, Kings for Buddy Heald, Pelicans maybe for Drew Holiday. I, I those are, I mean, I think those are the best guesses because I don't think the Sixers are. I sure hope. I mean, who knows? Because they're, they're they can be cheap sometimes. But um, I'm hoping that, you know, from a strategic standpoint, and I think they will, 
look at it and say, just getting off of this contract gives us nothing. Getting off of it for a, a player that we need, that is legitimate. That would be very helpful. Yeah, I mean, no team is going to be like actively trying to trade for Al Horford, or at least I wouldn't think that's the case. Like even Sacramento, so. <laughs> who who wanted him last summer, you know, I don't think the Kings are going to like come knocking at the door, like, "Hey, give us out Horford." You know, the Sixers are going to have to, you know, try to get off of his contract. It's gonna, probably going to take someone like Matisse Thybul or a first round pick or two to get someone to budge, especially if it is for a legit player like a Buddy Heald or especially a Drew Holiday, someone who can really elevate the Sixers. Um, it, it's going to take quite a bit to move out Horford, but. I think all the teams Dan mentioned are, are legitimate. Uh, we'll see what happens with Victor Oladipo in Indiana, though I, do, I don't think the Pacers would be particularly interested in Al Horford or even Tobias Harris, for that matter, just because mm-hmm. neither of them really fit there. So, uh, I think yeah, yeah, they, they're kind of loaded at the front court there in Indiana with Sabonis and Turner, aren't they? Yeah, so anyone who's going to trade for Al is going to at least have an opening at center. Uh, I don't know why the Bulls would, you know, because I think Wendell Carter and Laurie Markkinen are fine, and those are guys you want to build around and, and kind of lift up. So I, I don't think Chicago should. Uh, you know, the Billy Donovan connection is a thing, but I, I doubt Billy Donovan took that job, you know, thinking he's going to get out Horford. I just don't think it's a thing. But Sacramento sort of needs a center. Uh, I think Al makes a lot of sense next to Zion and some shooters in, in New Orleans. Um, on paper, but we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah, no, you guys brought up some good teams, but one team neither one of you guys brought up, and I wrote about this recently, is the Houston Rockets. They won microball. Their only center right now is Tyson Chandler, who, let's face it, is probably going to retire this offseason. He's, what, like 37? So they need a center. They could they could have a deal packaged around Eric, uh, Eric Gordon and Rocco. And the Sixers could send, because uh, I wrote this trade in uh, one of my uh, slides recently, they could send um, Al Horford, Matisse, and a first. And, you know, I think that that would be a, a, at least a good starting point for the Rockets. Maybe the Rockets want more. No. But I think, uh, think if you can get Rocco, and even Eric Gordon, despite his injury history, is still a solid player when healthy. Well, beyond a solid player. Um, so, I don't know. That's just my thoughts on it. I think uh, the Rockets could be a good team. The Hornets might be a team to look at. Uh, they they could use a proven center. No offense to Cody Zeller. Um, you know, who knows? But, I, you know, there's a few teams that I thought of. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think Rocco's on the table. Like, Rocco's a better player than Al. Yeah, a landslide at this point. Mm-hmm. And Eric Gordon's still, you know, a decent bench guy, sick man. So I don't really see how that helps Houston. Like, I'm sure they're, they'll go for a center on the free agent market, you know, someone at the mid-level exception or something. But I don't think anyone's going to be like, again, I don't think anyone's going to actively come after Al Horford. Like, I don't think anyone views him as someone who can significantly boost their their chances to contend. So I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't think Houston is is going to go there. So it's unfortunately time for us to talk about the front office. Um, Yeah. So the Sixers got swept about a month ago. Uh, Elton Brand had a big press conference, said he was going to evaluate things. 
and make changes and really take control. And so far, we have had zero people fired that we know of and a report that ownership, uh, you know, might be playing a bigger role than we thought in the coaching search. So not a, not a great start. Uh, Dan, why haven't the Sixers made any moves with regard to the front office? Uh, do you have any thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of it is the fact that any any moves that we really want to see in terms of, like, getting a, a, a big piece added to the front office, whether it be Daryl Morey or someone above Elton, is pretty highly unlikely, considering Elton is the one hiring, and when you have the option to be your own boss, pretty much, and you have the option to hire someone else to be your boss, not a lot of people decide to have a boss when they don't need to. So the idea that Elton's just going to hire someone else and say, hey, you know, you you be above me, you call the shots, I think is really unlikely, especially because he's kind of taken the hits, even though he didn't seem to actually be doing much. Uh, I don't see how that resulted in him getting a promotion, but it did. And possibly an extension, which is what he wants. So... It, it seems like there's not a lot changing. I forget if it was, was it Ned Cohen or Alex Rucker? But there's the constant reports that one of them won't be back. They're the same person to me. I don't really care. I hope they're all gone. Um, and and we'll, we'll see what happens. But I think Elton's comfortable with those guys. And people forget, you know, like we talk about it. We'll sit here and say, you know, they got to get rid of these guys. They all stink. And we'll be right. But. At the end of the day, they're comfortable with who they have mostly, and they can say they're going to make changes. They can make minor changes. So hopefully it seems like Scott O'Neill should be less involved going forward, and that seems like the major change, um, which is good. Um, I still don't really trust anyone they have in place. But, I mean, at this point, you know, not everyone is, is going to be thinking about this. It, it's something that people who follow the team very closely will care about. But, you know, the the average fan who's buying tickets to the game and taking their family and watching on TV, not that they're not real fans, but they just don't care about who these guys are. And I think that's, you know, that's fair that, like, not everyone – most people just don't care about that. And they watch the team and they know the players and they know basketball. But this is, you know, it's a thing that they can get away with because it's, it's not the on-court product. And it's kind of easy to hide. And they, they just seem to like who they have. Yeah, so I'm I'm going to piggyback off of Dan here. I'm going to agree. I think that they're dragging their feet on purpose. It, it would make more – logically, it would make sense that you fix your front office before you search for a head coach. They haven't done that, yet they're searching for a head coach. And if they decide, oh, after they get the head coach, then they're going to fix their front office, then that should make Sixers fans even more concerned. It's just, it's it, Chris. I, I'm pretty sure you were the one that made this article, but the the coaching search in the front office is a mess right now. This is what happens when you get a player who literally retired in 2016, become your general manager. Ownership who is starting to look more and more like James Dolan or you know uh, Robert Sarva than they are um, the owners of. Whoever, whoever the owner of the Spurs is, because you know they're so uninvolved that they, you don't even know their names, um, or you know even Mark Cuban, you know like it just is not looking good, guys. Like the Sixers ownership situation is.
starting to get on that toxic worse ownership level and if this offseason continues the way that it is it's gonna the Sixers ownership is not gonna look good it's gonna it's gonna do irreparable damage at this point yeah so there was a report like a week ago you know that they're gonna look at Daryl Morey and Kevin Pritchard and try to get guys like that to come over Mm-hmm. Uh, no one of that caliber is going to want the Sixers job if they don't have full control, if they don't have the power to pick their staff, etc. Obviously, the Sixers aren't going to fire Brand. They might even extend him. Um, Brand obviously <laughs> wants an extension. Um, mm. So at this point, I think it's pretty clear that the ownership is comfortable with who's there and that Elton is probably pretty comfortable with who's there. Um, I think the fact that the coaching shirt seems to be progressing like it is, is a pretty strong indication that not much is going to change up top. Um, I doubt that they're going to hire Dan Tony and then, you know, fire a bunch of people. I just, you know, they can prove me wrong. We'll see. But at this point, I'm pretty skeptical of any real significant changes happening. Maybe Brand does get more consolidated power. Really, it maybe is, you know, his team from now on. But, uh... I don't know. I, I just really don't think they're going to do a whole lot. I don't think they're going to, you know, initiate the kind of changes that fans like us who who care about this stuff want. Um, and like Dan said, you know, they can get away with it. I think Elton Brand's reputation outside of Philadelphia is still pretty positive. That seems to be the case, at least from different reports. So, yeah. Well, again, I've said this many times already on this podcast. We'll see what happens. Uh, I don't have a ton of confidence. Uh, I'm I'm pretty much a pretty hardened cynic at this point. But it most is Sixers what it fans is. are so so. Don't feel bad, Chris. Most of us are now. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty much progressing with like the bare minimum in terms of confidence, uh, and just hoping they they surprise me. But uh, and, so and Dan, this is gonna yeah. Sorry, go sorry. No, go for it. I was just going to say this: the, the fact that Elton Brand said all these changes were going to happen and then it doesn't, this loses his credibility and any type of credibility he had really prior to this point. It, it ruined that credibility, I think. Yeah. It's funny, part of the Chris, report... you talk about... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go for it. I was just going to say, you, you, were, you mentioned, you know, talking about Brand's reputation around the league, and it seems like the Sixers are... Whoever is leaking, probably someone in higher management or ownership, thrown in the fact that people love Elton Brand around the league in every single report that has come out. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's, it won't even be on topic. It's like, who who asked about this? Like, no one no one was wondering what anyone thought about Elton Brand. And it's like, they, it's like they know, you know, that he has no business being there, that he's, he was pretty much a figurehead and, and they're trying to play it off like, you know, we have a we have a real yeah. guy in charge. It's like no, you don't I mean, he, know. He explicitly said like he didn't know what he was doing when he got the job. He's like pretty much mm-hmm. said that outright. Mm-hmm. And well, I mean, promoted. I'm sure people like taking advantage of him. Like it's nice to deal with someone who doesn't know what he's doing because it benefits your team. <laughs> like I'm sure he's a nice guy. Uh, I mean, he seems like a good dude, and I'm sure he's pleasant to deal with. But that that doesn't mean he's a good general manager. Those are two very different, you know. Uh, qualifications so uh, yeah yeah I mean it's just who knows it, it, it's it's tough to swallow but uh, Dan what would you say your your concern level is right now with with the front office and ownership in that situation what's your panic level I guess 
Yeah, I mean, it's almost. I wouldn't even say, say I wouldn't even say I'm panicked because I I think it's it's like, it's not like I had higher expectations and I'm like, you know, when are they gonna when are they gonna do something? They said they do it. Are they were they lying? It's like I was kind of calling BS all along on this. I mean, this mm-hmm. this front office is is clearly well liked by ownership and ownership has made it clear over the years that team outcomes are not all that important and how the basketball team actually performs is not high on the list of things they care about. Uh, so you would think that would be more tied to like finances, which they clearly do care about, but it's definitely a complicated relationship that I don't fully understand or care to understand because it just annoys me. Um, but I, th- I think it was almost to be expected. Um, but in terms of like how I feel about it in general, no, I feel horrible about it. I think no one there knows what they're doing and the Sixers are going to, stay on this path of of being frustrating and making moves that don't really make a lot of sense. I hope I'm wrong, but we'll we'll see. It like there was it, it seems like fans could run the team better than some of these guys in charge. Like there there weren't any fans calling to replace Jimmy Butler with Al Horford this summer. No one wanted that. Everyone knew that was mm-hmm. dumb. Like sure we can talk ourselves into it after they do it because we have nothing else to do for the four months until the season starts. But yeah. no one thought ahead of time that that was a great idea, and they they, they just seemed clueless. I, and it it almost is what it is at this point. But it, it's it's bad. Even the people who didn't like Jimmy very much were pretty much you know in favor of running it back. I think that was a pretty well established consensus that they they should have brought that team back at any cost. And you know the part of the report from Pompey where it said he's taken hits for ownership. And that's why they, they, they're maybe going to keep him around. Like, he's taking hits because of moves that he has rubber-stamped, you know. He's taking criticism because the front office that he's, quote-unquote, in charge of continues to make boneheaded mistakes. They let Jimmy walk. They let J.J. walk. And then they hired a bunch of guys who, who don't make any sense on paper. Uh, a lot of the reports from Pompeii have, like, been bashing analytics for whatever reason and criticizing <laughs> analytics for why the Sixers are where they are. No quote-unquote analytics person is going to be like, put two centers and Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons on the court at the same time with a guard who can barely pass and no shooters. <laughs> like, that's just not how quote-unquote analytical basketball would work. I think um, barely you pass know, is generous for Josh Richardson. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like Al Horford, sure, the numbers all said that he was a great player in Boston because he was, but that doesn't mean that he's going to be great in every team situation possible. If you play him next to Dwight Howard and Clint Capella, he's not going to be as effective. You know, that's just not how numbers work. If your analytics department can't apply the analytics to what's actually happening on the court, then you need a new analytics department. But, like, blaming analytics, like, in general, as, like, this vague blanket statement against numbers, it's just stupid. (laughs) It it really doesn't make any sense. And I I never We did this because numbers. You know, the crazy thing is, building off the analytic thing, Josh Richardson and Tobias Harris, yeah, are solid three-point shooters, but we've seen that most of, like, the way they get into their rhythm is attacking the mid-range. So I don't even know how the analytics could have even overlooked that part. Yeah, I mean, if you want to look at like teams that have leaned really heavy into analytics, the obvious answer is like Houston, right? And Mike D'Antoni, yeah. 
And that team looks nothing like Philly. Philly basically built the exact like opposite. They went to the like polar opposite end of the spectrum. One with a bunch of big dudes who like to play in the post and who can't shoot. And you know, here we are talking about how they're gonna move forward because they've dug themselves into a hole that they probably can't get out of. And they probably, you know, closed their championship window before it was ever really open. So we'll we'll see what happens again, but yeah, I'm, like you, Dan, my confidence level is pretty pretty low at this point. Yeah, I, and I've already kind of said it that I think ownership is starting to look more and more like the Knicks and and Phoenix, you know, the Suns versus you know the Spurs or the Mavericks or the Celtics, you know, or or Miami. Ownership is not looking good here, and so yeah, no, I, I my confidence is pretty low. My alarm meter is probably about a six and a half seven. Yeah, it's pretty clear that ownership values like loyalty and collaboration more than they value like actual talent or production. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I think they've made that abundantly clear ever since Inky was fired. Can can I say this? You know, for all the slack that we give Brian Colangelo, he actually built the team how it should have been built about around Ben Simmons and Joel and be better than Brand ever did. Yeah, that's a low bar though. But yeah, Colangelo yeah. is much better than I mean, Brand. <laughs> Yeah, and he mostly like inherited that team. Like, not yeah. to say he didn't make a few good moves here and there. And Brandy, oh, okay. like the Jimmy Butler trade was great. That was a oh, terrific yeah. move, and mm-hmm. then he screwed it up. So it, you know, it, it's I don't know. It who knows? <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. And well, can we all say that we missed Jeremy Grant? That probably is the one trade that the Sixers wish that they mm-hmm. could have taken back. From Colangelo. Or like the Marco Fultz thing. Well, I mean, yeah, but I mean. Not that that's would we be, That was such I a mean, strange and unpredictable enigma. But Well, if we asked Stewart, it would be uh, yeah. uh, Mark Eversley. Mark Eversley, yeah. Yeah. But, um, the, the Jeremy Grant trade wouldn't look so bad if that pick didn't turn into. I believe that pick turned into. The Andres pick that we have Oh, no, well, no, 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 no. We yeah. traded another... There was some kind of... Or did we, we, we packaged another pick or something? No, no. We got Pasechniks because we traded that pick to Orlando, and then we got it back when we traded Markel to Orlando. Okay. Yeah, yeah the OKC pick this year is in some way tied to Markel. I, yeah. Lucas yeah. might be able to explain it better than I can. Yeah, so so we when we traded Jeremy Grant, that's when we first got the pick. With uh, Irsan Ilyasova, and then we traded, then uh, then Colangelo traded the pick for Pasetniks in 2017 draft, and then the, okay. the Magic traded it back to us when we traded them Markel. I knew he was tied to that pick in some way, which still it yeah. makes still makes it worse to me. Yeah. Well, hey, maybe number 21 will be better than Markel. Who knows? If it's maybe Tyrell it's Terry. Maybe if it's Tyrell Terry or Kerry Lewis Jr., I will be happy. Either one of them works for me. Yeah, give me Tyrell Terry all day. I'd be very uh, I'll take, about that. I'll take either one. I will take either one. But uh, moving on, I think I think because we we are we are not talking draft picks tonight, but we can do that some other. Um, but we are going to talk about what we predict the starting lineup will be next season. So this is going to include you know. If we believe any trades are going to happen this offseason, what do we believe the starting lineup will look like next year? Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll get a little bold with this one and 
this will look maybe half like a wish list and half like a what I think will actually happen. Um, I'll say give me give me Chris Paul at the point guard. I wrote about Chris Paul over at Liberty Ballers this week and how I think he would be huge to solve a lot of the Sixers' problems. I'd love to see that. Kind of skeptical it'll happen, but I would love it if they could trade for him. So I'll put him at the point. Um, in terms of everything else, I'll say I don't think there's going to be a ton of change besides that. So I'll say, you know, maybe Josh at the two, Tobias at the three, Ben at the four, Joel at the five. I would still make other moves, um, ideally. But if if they could only make one, if I'm going to keep it kind of realistic since I don't trust them to make these wholesale changes, I'll say I would love them to get Chris Paul and a lot of the rest stays the same. Who would you trade for Chris Paul? Well, I'd love to get off of Tobias, but I don't see why the Thunder would take that on. I think there's a better chance if we if we package some assets like you know Al Horford, get off that contract, but also, I mean, salary-wise, have to match – and it's, he's on a much less – better is not the right word, but a less horrible contract than Tobias. Um, and then probably something like maybe Matisse, one of Shake and Furkan, and then maybe the 21st pick this year, something like that. So I actually did a hypothetical trade with the Thunder in an article recently, and I had – it was uh, – let me double-check this real quick. It was Tobias because they're going to lose Danilo Gallinari. You replace Danilo with Tobias. Yeah, the contract's bad, but it's going to be a lot easier for Sixers to match CP's super uh, deal versus that. So that's that's my uh, my thought process there. Um, and then I obviously had the the twenty first pick in this draft, and I think I might have had. Give me one second. I'm about to pull it up here. I just I the way I see it is that I I think that Tobias makes the money work a lot easier because if you do Horford then you're gonna have to do Josh Richardson as well. And you could uh, do Zaire and Matisse also if you do Horford and Mike Scott. Yeah. Yeah, Mike Scott. When it comes down to it, there's few I I mean I mean I would trade everyone you just named. I know it's it it package would be less than that, but I really don't care. I'm not attached to anyone on this team at this point, and I would love Chris Paul and Philly. Yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. Just like I said, I think money-wise, I think if I was OKC, because you still have Steven Adams. What are you going to do with that? Unless you can find a trade partner for Steven Adams, I think you go for Tobias in that regard. But I get what yeah. you're saying, too. So it's... It's uh it's a tough it's a tough sell either way. But um Chris, what are you what is your starting five next season? Well, I'm yeah. this up. So just to add a few things to that, um I definitely think OKC would probably prefer Horford just based on money. Um obviously they're losing Danilo, but I don't think that means they want a worse version of him for four more years and thirty five million a year or however much Tobias is making. Obviously OKC wants to rebuild Horford does less to keep them competitive. Um, I don't think the Thunder really need to rebuild full scale because they have like a hundred picks, anyways. Like they can probably afford to just like keep making the playoffs and, and stockpile young talent behind their current group. So from that perspective, they don't they have a good amount of leverage because they can probably just keep CP3. Uh, there's really no reason to rush out and trade him if if no one offers a decent package for him. But so my starting five does also include Chris Paul. Um, I think the Sixers are 
seems like they're going to at least think about it, maybe try to go for him. Um, other teams are going to be able to compete with whatever package they have. You know, Milwaukee, Miami are both teams to watch. But, you know, maybe this is a bit of a pipe dream, but I'll, I'll say Chris Paul, Shake Milton, Tobias, Ben, and Joe. That's just because I think Josh would probably be included. Um, both Josh Richardson and Matisse Thibel are, you know, those are guys that really fit what OKC tends to uh, prioritize when, with regard to their wing talent. Uh, they're really big on like long-ranging defenders who who maybe need some work offensively. So <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll see um, if they are going to rebuild. I think you could probably flip Josh for a pick maybe somewhere else. You know, just stash Al Horford for the next two seasons, wave him year three, get off about twelve million, like twelve thirteen million of, of dead money there, and you know, go from there. So Chris Paul, Shake Milton, Tobias Harris. Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid is my official submission. Okay, so uh, so my my Chris Paul trade that I had him in that article, I found it. It was Tobias Harris, Mike Scott, Matisse Thybulle, the twenty first pick in this draft, and that unprotected twenty twenty two pick. Uh, I think that's fair for for Chris Paul, and I, I, I like I said, I think Tobias just fits what they need in OKC because I don't think Darius Baisley's even close to being ready as a prospect. Um, that being said, my starting five, if I'm going to have to put money on anything, this is what I got. I have Ben Simmons, Buddy Heald, Josh Richardson, Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid. We already know that my, if Mike D'Antoni gets hired, they're going to want to keep Tobias at the four. I don't think... Joel and Ben are going anywhere. I don't. I think the. I honest. I'm being cynical right now, but I believe the that the Bucks are going to outbid us for Chris Paul. I think they have more attractive pieces. Maybe not draft assets, but in terms of like Eric Bledsoe for Chris Paul, that sounds a lot better than taking dead money in either Al Horford or Tobias Harris. So, that's my thought. I think that that's going to end up being. CP is going to end up in Milwaukee next year, but um, I like Buddy Heel. I think we can sucker in whoever's the new. Gen- I, I, they they name somebody as the new general manager up in and uh, Sacramento. I just don't. He's from Houston, but I I think you could sucker you know the the ownership into getting Al Horford or Tobias, but I think Al Horford's probably your better bet just based off the fact that they liked him last summer. Um, and the fact that Buddy Heels uh, is apparently not that happy in Sacramento. So that's my thought on that. Yeah, I definitely think Buddy Heels is probably maybe the more likely of the two, if we're being honest with ourselves. Um, like you said, if anyone really wants to outbid Philly for Chris Paul, um, they probably can, uh, just because Tobias and Al are such undesirable contracts. Um, so you'd really have to bank on on other teams, you know, maybe not being fully committed to CP3 as an idea because of his age, which is totally fair. And I think the Sixers should maybe like consider the fact that, you know, he's he's getting up there in years. But, I mean, with Philly, you have so many... You're, you're not going anywhere with this current group. You have no cap flexibility for the next three or four seasons. At this point, you just have to, like, try to do what you can with what you have. So, if anything, that's why they should probably go all out for CP3. It'll probably take a few picks... Um, it, it won't be cheap, but yeah, nothing I think not Buddy worth Heald's, trying. Yeah, 
I mean, it, it, it's you got to do what you can while while Joe's still here, and you know, because Joe's not going to stick around forever, unfortunately. If the Sixers keep keep fumbling the bag, so we'll we'll see what happens. And CP3 is a very Mike D'Antoni like point guard. Obviously, he's played for D'Antoni in Houston, so I'm sure that's something that that if D'Antoni does have say in the personnel decisions, as it has been reported. And if he is the next head coach, um, that might be something he pushes for quite hard. It could be, but like I said, I just feel like I, I feel like the Bucks are going to outbid uh, the Sixers there. But I do like Buddy Heald. Um, you will definitely see. But guys, so uh, Chris, you didn't really answer. Uh, I guess. Well, I guess you did. So you don't think uh, neither one of you guys think Al Horford. I think none of us think Al Horford's going to be on the roster. Is that fair to say? Probably not. And if he is, we can all agree that he's probably coming off the bench. Yeah, I would. I would bet against it. But again, his contract is not great, and it would not like totally shock me if no one, you know, takes it. Because um, the Sixers can't really afford to mortgage all of their picks in the near future because they need to have some way to, you know, keep the bench, mm-hmm. you know competitive to some degree and the draft is really their only way to do that without any cap space so maybe it's too expensive to get off his deal but you know if it is D'Antoni and if D'Antoni is committed to Tobias at the four and that has us questioning Ben's future then there's really not much hope for Al Horford doing much of anything so I, I would think that they, they do everything they can to get off of him with, 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 within reason of course I can't really think of any other Albatross like contracts this uh, any other team has because I think Hashim Whiteside's contracts up, so I can't I mean, really think of John it. Wall is maybe the one that's up. John Wall and Westbrook are probably the two that are up there with Tobias and, and Al for worst in the league. Wiggins. Who would you rather have Westbrook? Oh, Paul. Chris Paul, yeah. No, no, no. What's for John Seven Wall? Days a week. No, 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 no. Oh, said, okay. Probably John Wall. <laughs> yeah. Apologies to Russ. Yeah, I'll uh, take that'd John. That'd be Paul. tough for me. Yeah. I would. I, say, mean, I Russ... would say right now I'd probably take a shot on Russ. Still, I I really don't like mm-hmm. Russ, but with all the with the all the injuries to Wall, I would say you know maybe you figure out something around Russ. Whereas I'm I'm very skeptical. You know, Wall will still have that explosiveness when he comes yeah. back. Yeah, What's no, John? I, I guess does Wall have the longer contract? He does. Uh, he's okay. a better. Yeah, if Wall. I I got it mixed up in my head, but if Wall has the longer contract, then I might I might take Russ. Uh, I mean, okay. I do think Westbrook's still a good player in the right situation, but as you know, with Joe and Ben, it's yeah. just I don't see how that works at all. I think it'd be kind of a mess. All right, so I'm going to jump in here, guys. And before we sign off, just want to share the social media question of the week. And we decided to do something on Twitter where we did the whole retweet versus like choice. So we attached two names. We attached Buddy Hill to the retweet symbol and Chris Paul to the heart symbol. And check it out, guys. It was pretty much split down the middle. The question was, who would you want on the Sixers, Buddy Hill or Chris Paul? 82 retweets for Buddy Hield and 80 likes for Chris Paul. And the person who actually commented on that on Twitter, even though we didn't really want people to comment, but it stood out 
a guy, John Johnson, he just said, is wanting both a crime, <laughs> which would be nice. I don't know if they have the assets. Real quick, guys, what do you, what do you think? Are we going healed or Paul? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's Chris Paul easy. I think he fixes more issues. Um, I know shooting's, shooting is a big thought right now, but I'd much rather have a guy who can get to the basket, create for others, um, be a true uh, perimeter defender. Um, I think he, Chris Paul is obviously the much better player. I don't, to me, it's it's not even close. I would love Chris Paul on the team. You get Buddy Hill too, like the comment said, then, I mean, great. I would love to have him, you know, in addition, if you have some assets left over that you feel comfortable using, but if you can only get one, it's got to be Chris Paul. I'm I'm on the same page. I think Chris Paul, um, assuming he doesn't, you know, fall off a cliff, a la Al Horford, is probably a top 15 or 20 guy in the league. But he heals great and all, but he wasn't particularly inspiring last season. Um, he only started in 44 of their 72 games. His, his efficiency numbers were, were pretty much down across the board. He did shoot like 40% on 10 threes a game, which is insane. So no one's going to like question his ability to shoot. Obviously, that would help the Sixers a great deal. Uh, Chris Paul is Chris Paul. He's an all-NBA guard. Like Dan said, he fixes more holes. The Sixers need more than just spot-up shooting at this point. They need someone who can kind of help cure the offense in the half court, create the pick and roll, especially if it's D'Antoni. Again, Chris Paul is going to be really nice in a D'Antoni offense. So it's CP3 for me. Yeah, I think CP3 would be my option too, though. I think more realistically we have a shot at Buddy Heal. But in terms of who I actually think will would do more for us, would it have to be Chris Paul easily? I'll add my two cents. I will be the voice of reason amongst you youngsters. I'm going to go with Buddy Hield simply because with the Sixers' luck in terms of their past performance of bringing in players past their prime, it never works out. So Chris Paul is going on 40 years old. He looked great last year, but because it's the Sixers, he would come here and either we get hurt the first month or he would be a shell of himself. So that's my two cents. Yeah, I, I definitely think you could argue that Heald is the safer of the two. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up here. Dan, thanks a ton for coming on, man. We we really appreciate it, and we'd love to have you on in the future. Yeah, awesome. Thank you guys for having me on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was our pleasure. Um, you can follow Dan on Twitter at Dan underscore Volpone, V O L P O N E, and you can read his work at Liberty Ballers. We highly suggest that you do so. Obviously, they do great work over there. As always, we really appreciate everyone for listening in, giving us the time of day, time of week. Obviously, we're all going through some tough times uh, these days. So we, we really do appreciate you spending an hour with us to talk Sixers basketball. And we have some exciting guests scheduled for the future. So make sure to tune in next week and the weeks afterwards while we talk more Sixers basketball.